Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are celebrating 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Today, Pastor Larry will have an update on the gospel outreach that's happening right now in the country of Pakistan. But first, let's join staff evangelist Josh Davis and author Elisa Childers as they continue exposing popular deceptions that make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. We are privileged to be joined again by Elisa Childers. She's the author of the book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. We're talking about some of the common lies that progressive Christianity has proposed and is forcing upon people in very, very subtle ways as it bleeds into our culture and into our mindset. And so we want to pick back up on our discussion. The subtitle of the book is Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. How do these popular deceptions make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed? I think the big picture answer is that they make us focus solely on ourselves. So take, for example, the phrase, this is so popular in culture, where people will say, you are enough. And I get it. I understand why that seems like a good thing to say, especially if somebody has been told lies about themselves. Maybe they grew up with someone who told them, you'll never be worth anything. You know, you're no good. You're you're never going to accomplish anything in your life. And you want to say to that person, you know what? You are enough. But what I try to point out in the book is that to tell somebody that, to tell them to go inward into themselves with something like that is really to put a burden on them to fix a problem all by themselves. Like when we say you're enough, essentially we're saying whatever's going on inside you, whatever is broken, whatever is hurting, whatever problem you might have inside of yourself, you have to solve that with only the tools you find within your own heart. And that is exhausting because then we're not going to be looking outward to Christ or to the gospel, but we're going to be thinking, oh, I have to do all this work. I have to go read this study. I have to join this group. I have to do this type of ritual or meditation or this or that. Mm -hmm. And it puts so much stress and pressure. And I do think that all of this self-focus, this religion of self that we see in culture, I mean, I don't have data for this, but it seems to make sense that this would be connected to the mental health crisis that we see. We see skyrocketing rates of depression and anxiety, especially among Gen Z, the kids that are about 12 to 23 or in that range. Yes. There's so much anxiety. And I think that when we tell people that you have to fix all of your own problems, it's all about you, you have to focus on yourself, that is going to induce anxiety. Whereas the biblical story would say, look, you actually can't fix yourself. And I'm not saying that there's not value in getting some great counseling and therapy or any of those things that might help somebody figure out what's going on inside of themselves. But ultimately, we can't fix ourselves. The gospel is the cure. We need to go outside of ourselves to realize that actually a lot of the problems we're going to find inside of ourselves are sin problems. And those things actually need to not be lift out in an authentic way, but repented of and changed and surrendered to Jesus to begin to transform us more into the image of Christ every day. And so I think that it's the self-focused nature of all of these slogans that leads to that kind of exhaustion and that anxiety. I call that oftentimes Disney theology because 
the whole plot of the Disney movies is you've got some parent or a parental figure and you're rejecting them and their authority and the answer is found within yourself and look within, find yourself, all those kinds of things. And it is really spilled over into our day-to-day living. Another popular statement that you address is put yourself and your needs first. How does that statement, put yourself and your needs first, actually end up harming us? If we look in Scripture, I think it's in the Proverbs where it says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And Jesus said things like, if you want to be first in the kingdom, you have to be last, you have to be a servant of all. So there's this concept in Scripture that when we serve others, when we put others' needs before our own, there is a refreshing that will come to us. There's a strengthening of our own selves that will come. But in culture today, and in so many of these self-help books, even ones that are marketed as Christian, they're marketed to Christians, the messages in so many of those books is that you can't help someone else until you help yourself. You can't love someone else until you learn to love yourself. You can't put someone's needs in a prioritized way, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. until you prioritize your own needs above all of that. And it sounds good. It's one of those slogans, you're like, well, that makes sense. It's like, you know, you're not going to be a good mom if you're wrung out and you're exhausted and you're not sleeping well and you're not taking care of your body. That's true. I get that. I'm a much better mom when I'm eating well, when I'm eating nutritious food, when I go out for my walks and I do my weight workouts, I have much more energy to serve my kids. But from a biblical perspective, we do those things primarily because we want to be able to be a blessing to others, and we want to serve others and be able to serve the Lord well and worship Him in spirit and in truth and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But in the world, it's a much more selfish motive. It's like this whole self-care idea. I have to go get that massage and that facial, or I'm just going to be a monster today. And sometimes I think it's an excuse Mm. to just kind of be lazy and be selfish. And that's kind of the message. There's a very, very popular book that came out a few years ago that was marketed as a Christian book that basically told women, you have to be the very first of your priorities. You have to be the hero of your own story. And it just, again, not saying it's wrong to take care of yourself, It's good to do that. As human beings, we are spirit and body, and we need to take care of our bodies. But when the motivation is this sort of secular idea of self-care, it becomes very self-focused and very selfish, to whereas, you know, our families kind of get the scraps, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. the Lord would call us to put others' needs before our own. And then there's sort of this cycle. In fact, in the book, I talk about it like, it's not like a car running out of gas. It's more like a house that is solar powered. You have the solar power panels and that power goes into the house, but then it's constantly receiving strength from the sun. And that's what it is as Christians. We're not just like a car running out of gas, but we serve others. And then it's like this cycle of where we become refreshed. And and that's part of our sanctification too. And we become more like Christ. Absolutely. Another one of the popular lies that you deal with in your book is that God just wants us to be happy. Does God just want us to be happy? There was a study done in 2015, and what the study concluded was that most teenagers in America, their spiritual ideas, their religious beliefs were basically summed up by them thinking that God just wanted them to kind of be good, be nice, and be happy and that God wasn't really going to be all that involved in their life unless they needed something. If they wanted to pray, He might come help them out, but He's not going to 
tell them what they can and can't do with their body and things like that. There was a term coined therapeutic moralistic deism. Mm -hmm. So almost like God is a giant therapist in the sky that just wants you to be happy, right? And be nice. Of course, you, you want to be kind and nice, but basically he just wants you to be happy. But if we read scripture, a different picture emerges. Does God want us to be happy? Absolutely. And I talk about that in the book, but happiness is defined biblically so much differently than just this temporal high you might get from, you know, meeting the perfect romantic partner or having that perfect day at the beach or a perfect meal or something like that. I mean, those things are good gifts, right? But that's not the deep core of our deep abiding joy as Christians. Really, that has to do with our purpose. And our purpose as human beings is to worship God. We were created to be in relationship with God. And when that's broken, when that's not happening, all these little other things are not going to satisfy. The only thing that will truly satisfy us is lining up with our purpose. There's that element, but the beautiful thing that the gospel gives us, the Bible gives us, is a theology of suffering that so many other worldviews do not have. Mm -hmm. In Christianity, not only does suffering lead to deeper abiding joy? And I think this has proven out time and time again. I even asked my kids this. Think about the people who have suffered a lot in their lives and at the same time have clung to Christ. Are they not the most mature Christians? Are they not the most compassionate and loving people? They're the people we go to to pray for us because mm -hmm. they have a deep abiding joy about them and an understanding that you know, I may not have yet because I haven't had those levels of suffering. So God redeems that suffering. He works together all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So not only does Christianity teach you not to avoid suffering, but that there's a great gift in and through suffering that other worldviews can't offer. And this, this kind of cheap, go find the perfect romantic partner. And if you're not happy in your marriage, just get a divorce. That whole mentality only leads to greater pain and suffering. And that's the irony of it, is that when we live in obedience to Christ, we're not going to avoid suffering. But there's deep promises in walking through that suffering that lead to a much greater joy. And it's a conundrum, but it's a beautiful conundrum. Yes. And you're touching on some very crucial things in terms of how the world is identifying terms like happiness, like identity, like authenticity. How has progressive Christianity in particular really morphed these terms and changed them to fit a different definition? That's the thing about progressive Christianity that a lot of people may not realize is that there's a redefinition of terms. And this is similar in Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and even in the New Age, where they'll use a lot of the same words and terms, but they have very different meanings. So in progressive Christianity, they might even say, yes, we believe that Jesus was divine or that he was resurrected or that we believe in the incarnation. You might, but you have to ask more questions. Like, what do you mean by these things? Because mm -hmm. often a progressive Christian might be talking about a metaphor of resurrection, but they may not believe that Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And so a lot of these terms get sort of a makeover, they get redefined. And that can confuse people because they're having a conversation and it seems like we're not saying the same thing, but we're using the same words. So that's just a, an important thing to remember with progressive Christianity is even when progressives talk about the Bible, they might say, I have a very high view of Scripture. I believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. But again, you got to ask them what they mean, because often they're not talking about the Bible being God-breathed, God's revealed Word on the page, mm. but they're more talking about it's a tool God might use to inspire you or to help you in your walk. But 
they're not going to say that it's inerrant, that it is fully authoritative from Genesis to Revelation. Another one of the lies that you address is the statement, you shouldn't judge, don't judge me. How is that statement a lie? Anytime a Christian might make a moral claim, somebody is going to say, you shouldn't judge, and they're going to quote Jesus, right? This is the atheist's favorite Bible verse, the progressive's favorite Bible verse, where Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. I think it's important also to define our terms, because when we talk about judging, there's sort of two ways that word is used. In Scripture, even, there's the idea of Jesus being the final judge of someone's eternal state, right? Jesus gets to decide who's in and who's out. That's really not my proclamation to make, to judge the eternal status of someone's soul. But the Bible does call us to make moral judgments about other people. For example, the Apostle Paul said, is it not those inside the church we're to judge? And he said, it's not our job to judge outsiders, right? But it is our job to judge those inside the church. So we have to take Scripture as a whole and take a look at the context within which Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus is not saying in that passage that you should never make moral judgments about other people. In fact, in that passage later on, he actually even says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't throw what is holy to the dogs. There's an implication there that you would have to make judgments about people to know who the pigs are, who the dogs are, right? Right, right. That can't be what he's saying. He's not saying you should never make those judgments, but if you look deeper into that context, that's the passage where he says, Take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so what Jesus is saying there is not that you should never make judgments, but that you shouldn't do it hypocritically, because the whole point of the thing is to help your brother take the speck out of his eye. He's actually not saying don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's saying take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to help your brother with what he might be struggling with. So we are required as Christians to confront one another in our sin, to walk with one another in our sin. But we know Jesus didn't mean that you should never judge, because in another passage in the Gospels, he says, judge with right judgment. And so he's actually commanding us to make correct judgments that are based in truth and not just in some kind of subjective feeling. While we're talking about objective truth, where do we find the solution? Where do we find the truth to combat the lies of the culture, to be able to see through the hypocrisy even, or see through the deception that's around us? Where do we find those solutions? This answer is going to seem so simple, but it's three words. Read the Bible. The yes. Bible is God's revealed Word. This is the objective standard of truth. You know, I was thinking about this morning. I go out on a walk pretty much every morning, and that's when my juices really get flowing, and I start thinking. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the progressive approach to the Bible, how there's so much attack on the God of the Old Testament, and how could He have done this, and how could He have done that? And I just thought to myself, I wonder if this would be a great challenge to progressives. Instead of reading blog posts that point out one verse that you might find problematic. Why don't you wipe the slate clean and read the entire Old Testament scripture with a completely clean slate, coming to it with the goal of knowing who God is? And you might still find some things you have to wrestle with, but instead of putting the Old Testament on trial, why don't you come to it with the assumption that this is what God wanted me to know about himself and see what happens? Because I think so many people approach it with their own already decided moral compass, rather than letting the Bible inform what your moral compass is. And so many of those things we're going to judge the Bible by are cultural. 
And I think we should judge culture based on the Bible. First of all, we have to understand that truth exists. I think that's key, especially for the younger generation as we train them up. When I was growing up, I kind of knew what truth was. I knew that truth was objective. I wouldn't have been able to articulate that probably, but I knew that truth is what is real. But kids today, Gen Z, we know this statistically, have generally embraced moral relativism. In other words, they think morality is relative to each person. And so if that's sort of your starting point, you kind of back up a couple steps and help people understand that truth even exists and it can be known when it comes to religion and morality, and then point people to the Bible, which is the objective standard for truth when it comes to everything we need to know about who God is and how to live as Christians. Friends, we've been talking with Elisa Childers, the author of Live Your Truth and Other Lies. I strongly encourage you to pick up your copy today. You can reach our ministry at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at swrc.com. Elisa, it's been our privilege to have you with us the last two days. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. These last two days with Elisa Childers are available in their entirety on CD. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. Being the captain of your own destiny and striving to make your dreams a reality is a huge burden that you were never meant to bear. Discover true freedom instead inside the pages of Elisa Childers' book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Everyday messages of peace, fulfillment, and empowerment swirl around social media. On the surface, they seem like sentiments of freedom and hope, but in reality, they're deeply deceptive. In Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Elisa will help you to uncover the common lies repeated within progressive circles. Hold on to the soul-restoring truths that God's Word offers and be empowered to live the way your Creator designed you. Order your copy of Live Your Truth and Other Lies when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website, swrc.com. Pastor Larry Spargimino is here to share the latest update on the gospel outreach that you are helping to support in the country of Pakistan. We have posted some videos in our appeal for help in the last couple of weeks, videos of the school, the classrooms, and the teachers, and the brick kilns where most of these children live. The videos are very revealing and high impact. You can see very poor Christian families with no hope of ever getting out of the brick kilns. You can see boys and girls, maybe five or six years of age, working in very dirty, unhealthy, and sometimes very dangerous conditions. So I want to thank those of you who have responded to our appeals. Frankly, the last couple of months have been very discouraging for this very important ministry. The number of students at Grace Charity Schools has grown, and yet the offerings for the schools have decreased. My prayer quite often is that the Lord would give me the right words to write an effective appeal letter. Of course, I understand that there is a lot of uncertainty in America. We do not know what is going to happen next. Our culture is becoming increasingly more bizarre in many ways. I think there's a feeling in America where many are afraid to part with their money. I can understand. People are concerned. But you know, friends, giving to these impoverished children can lift us above the mundane and bring great joy and peace despite the uncertainty because you know you're doing something wonderful, something very important. 
I've been in Christian ministry for more than half a century. I can testify wholeheartedly that God is faithful, even in the most difficult of times. You know, the church was birthed in hard times. It was birthed in the days of the Roman occupation of Israel. Israel's religious leaders had really turned away from the Lord. The rabbis had done a good job of corrupting the words of the prophets of old. And yet, as we read in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Man, using natural reason, would have said, this is the wrong time. But God said this was the fullness of the time. And I believe even today, as we minister to these boys and girls and provide a Christian education for them, this is the right time to do that. I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. You can see what the conditions are like and how these kids in Pakistan need help. And remember, Grace Charity School is not just any school. It's a Christian school, and it is in Pakistan. We have almost 400 Uh, young people now attending the school. I think it is wonderful that we're providing quality Christian education to poor brick kiln children at no cost to the brick kiln families. If there were a fee, they would not be able to pay it. One of the sad consequences of child labor in Pakistan is that it deprives children of the opportunity to get an education and to move upwards on the socioeconomic ladder. A lack of education contributes to the continuation of poverty. These kids really need an education, especially a Christian education. The teachers are handpicked. They are Christian. They're very dedicated. Recently, because of the problems we had getting funds to Pakistan, the teachers continued serving the Lord and serving those precious boys and girls a whole month without getting any salary. Praise the Lord for those wonderful teachers. There is the danger that those raised in the brick kilns lose a sense of reality. Since they're living in conditions of extreme poverty, they are in a survival mode. They look at you with their beautiful brown eyes and say, please feed me. You know, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but Jesus did not condemn bread. We certainly do want to show our students in Pakistan that there's more to life than bread. You can have tons of bread and still be hungry and unsatisfied. Our school curriculum is geared to minister to the whole man or the whole child. Yes, kids have bodies that need to be nourished, but they are also made in the image of God. Even Pakistani kids, praise the Lord. A life that is lived victoriously is one in which body, soul, and the spiritual dimension of their personalities is nurtured. And that's exactly what we're doing at Grace Charity School in Pakistan. You know, we have a campus, the main campus is in Tobatek Singh, and we also have a campus in Kamalia. These are two of our campuses. If you go to the videos on YouTube, you can see the main campus and also the satellite campus in Kamalia. It's amazing work. I believe it's a work of God in every sense of the word. Many of the families that work in the brick kilns are Christian families. Christians are at the very bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in Pakistan. Without an education, there's no possibility of rising above their poverty level. With a Christian education, they become useful to their country and also effective witnesses for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, both in word and also in their lifestyle. 
Pakistani families find abortion unthinkable. Some of the families are large, but there is a respect and a reverence for life in the hearts of many of the people in Pakistan. We don't even have that here in America. And America is supposed to be a Christian nation. So in terms of dollars and cents, what are we talking about? Well, there are some 23 very dedicated and hand-picked teachers in both campuses. $2,500 pays the salary for 23 teachers for one month. Just imagine, we could never do that in America. And friends, these teachers work very hard. They prepare their lessons. They come spiritually prepared to teach. They also come intellectually prepared to teach. They are precious. They are the most wonderful teachers, I believe, anywhere in the world. And they are teaching at Grace Charity School in Tobatek Singh and also in Kamalia. So like I say, they're hand-picked, extremely dedicated, well-trained. They love the Lord and they love those precious boys and girls. That is certainly a winning combination. And remember, this is Pakistan. I think the Lord has opened a wonderful door of opportunity for us. You know, the economic situation in Pakistan is very difficult, far more difficult than it is here in America. And yet, isn't it a testimony to the amazing grace of God when we overcome difficulty with His grace and by His Spirit? I want to ask each and every one of our listeners to do three things. First, Look at our YouTube videos of the work in Pakistan. Let those images sink in. Secondly, go to the Lord in prayer and do two things. First, thank God for what he is doing in Pakistan. And secondly, ask God what part he would have you play in the education of these children and in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, be obedient to God. However he leads you, it may be to lay aside $1 a day, that's not much, is it? Or $10 a day. And then fourthly, maybe you are in a situation where you can't even give a penny. Like I said, I understand. But would you pray for the work in Pakistan? Would you pray for Pastor Victor Samuel? He is a wonderful man of God. I've been working with him since 2009, my first trip to Pakistan. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the kids. And friends, what a delight it is to think of GCS, Grace Charity School. You can help with that wonderful work in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. We've all seen the memes that populate the internet. Live your truth. Follow your heart. You only have one life to live. They sound nice and positive. But what if these slogans are actually lies that unhinge us from reality and leave us anxious and exhausted? Author Elisa Childers invites you to examine modern lies that are disguised as truths in today's culture. Everyday messages of peace, fulfillment, and empowerment swirl around social media. On the surface, they seem like sentiments of freedom and hope. But in reality, they're deeply deceptive. The book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Elisa Childers, will help you to uncover the common lies repeated within progressive circles, will help you to hold on to the soul-restoring truths that God's Word offers. And when you read this book, you'll be empowered to live the way your Creator designed you. Order Live Your Truth and Other Lies today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order at our website, swrc.com. Is it possible for renewal to come through peace rather than power? 
We'll find out on tomorrow's program. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.